Thank you, Larry, for that incredible uh, just testimony. Uh, love seeing your work down in South Dallas. If you uh, were a part of anything that we were doing uh, this, this past Thanksgiving on this Thursday, we were here in the, in the Great Hall. Uh, we were serving all of our friends over in Vickery. We had people down at Cornerstone as well, and a lot of that work is because of you, Larry. So we, we thank you for your, uh, for your work and your service and your testimony uh, this morning. That's an example for all of us. So uh, good morning. Merry Christmas. Okay, good. Just making sure we're all awake this morning. We're a little closer together, so I can tell if you're, you know, if you're kind of nodding off, all right? So you just got to be, uh, be paying attention this morning. I might, I might call you out. I'm supposed to stay on the carpet, though, all right? So I can't get, clo- I can't get that close to you. But uh, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for participating uh, in something that's a little, bit, uh, a little bit different this morning, but allows us to, to still celebrate this, this wonderful season as we remember our Savior, our Lord, our, our King that has come to rescue each and every one of us. So yeah, it's, it's Christmas time. Uh, lots of things going on, uh, including the World Cup, which seems really, really odd. Uh, but, you know, hey, we can, we, can, we can watch those things too. But a lot, of the, a lot of what happens during Christmas time, anybody just watch Christmas movies now? Like they're just on your TV all the time, just on the loop. I mean, it's just like, like it's background noise for each and every... Uh, for each and every day of the season. And for one of the, one of the staples that's been introduced into our house for our daughter Zoe is Home Alone. Any Home Alone fans out there? You've seen Home Alone? All right, there's only one and two. We don't acknowledge the third one. Uh, Home, Alone is, Home Alone is, I mean, the premise, right, is every kid's dream. I am at the house by myself with no adult supervision. Like, this is, this is amazing. This is the life of of Kevin McAllister for a couple days, right? Now, this wasn't planned, right? They left him at home. They're trying to get ready for their, their Christmas trip to Paris, whatever, Merry Christmas to go to Paris. But like, they're, they're going to Paris to see some relatives or something. Kevin doesn't really have a really good uh, interaction with his family the night before, and he is sent to the tower. I call it the prison uh, I was informed it's actually the attic. I didn't know that. But he's sent to the attic where he's got to go sleep. They miss their alarm because the power goes out the next morning. And they're scrambling around. And they, they leave. And it's not until they are halfway over the Atlantic until, you know, the famous, Kevin! You know, the mom screaming. You're all familiar with that, uh, with that line. But, you know, they're, so they're scrambling around. Uh, their, their plans for their entire uh, their entire family Christmas trip has been disrupted. Key word there. Keep that word in mind as we uh, unpack our story today. But Kevin is just living it up. He's like, this is great. Like, I, I'm, I'm just like, me and my, I've, he thinks he's made his family disappear when actually they just forgot him. Like, we love you. We forgot you, right? But they just, they, they, left, him at, they left him at the house. Mom is trying to scramble. They're trying to figure out how to get back to uh, how to get back to Chicago, right? Meanwhile, Kevin is ordering pizza. I mean, guys, he, he was fine. He went and got a toothbrush. Like, he was, like, he was very co- conscious of his, of his dental hygiene. Like, he did a good job. He's doing, he's doing great, right? But wh- what, what, I'm, what I'm talking about, what we're talking about today is we often just mishandle life's circumstances, what I think is really funny in, in Home Alone is that I, I think this is, this is a kind of a picture of, of life now. Is like I think kids handle, kids, teenagers handle disruption and adversity a lot better than the adults do, right? 
the adults are just immediately jumping in. We're going to try to fix everything we can as fast as we can because we want everything to work out. Meanwhile, kids are just like, man, this is great. Like, I'll just roll with the punches. Like, there's no, there's no, pro, there's no problems here. And as we're going to see today, we're going to see a teenager, 14, 15 years old, who's going to handle some, some of life's circumstances, a disruption flawlessly as we look at the story of Mary. Think about that. Mary had so, so much to, to worry about. And think about the, the disruptions that maybe you're experiencing in your own life, and you're going, God, what, like, what are you doing here? What's, what's, ha- what's happening? Mary had a lot to worry about. So that's what we're going to look at today. And I, I you know, look, I'm going to be up front, okay? I have no idea what it's like to be pregnant, okay? Like, we, that should be a given, but like I, like, I don't know what it's like to carry a child for nine months, okay? So what better person than a male to stand up here and tell you what a female's experienced during that time, right? I remember when Stacy was pregnant with Zoe, right? If you've ever done like the pre-birthing classes, they put on the, uh, they put on the pregnancy vest and they're like, you know, it's from 10 things I hate about you to prevent his daughter from having, making bad decisions. You've seen that? And they're like, oh, now you know what it's like. I'm going like, I've worn this for 30 seconds. She, she, she's been carrying this for seven to eight months at this point. Like, I have no idea. I have no idea about the emotional stress, about the physical stress, about the mental stress that's put on a woman, right? You think about what Mary's experiencing as a teenager, 14, 15 years old. That's like modern day eighth grade. Think about that. Mary had a lot going on. And so what I want us to find out today is this. I want us to answer this question is how do we respond to life-changing disruptions? How do we respond to life-changing disruptions? All throughout the, the Advent, all throughout Christmas time, we're going to be looking at different characters and through, kind of through their lens of what God was doing in each and every one of their lives. Today, we're looking at Mary. Next week, we'll look at Joseph. We'll look at the shepherds. We'll look at the wise men. What was God doing through each and every one of their lives? Because here's the deal. God is seeking to disrupt your life today. He is inviting you into his story, into his redemptive narrative, just like he did with Mary. And so how do we, re- how do we respond to life-changing disruptions? We're going to see three things today. We're going to see that we rejoice, we remember, and we replace. That's what we're going to look at. Today. So if you got your Bibles, you want to follow along, I'm going to set this up with Luke 1, 26 through 38. I'm not going to read uh, that entire narrative right there of, the, of just how, uh, of, of Gabriel's visit. I'm going to read about the first four or five verses. But Luke 1 really is, that's the, that's the passage that tells us all really about what's going on in the life of, of Mary. It carries over into chapter 2. But follow along with me as we read from, from 26 through, through 30. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. 
at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. All of this is, is set up with, with obscurity, right? No, like the, 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 the town of Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. And kind of Luke kind of throws this in there as like, oh yeah, it's some town in Galilee. It had 500 people in it. So you have this obscure town, you have this probably this obscure teenager, and it's about to become the place of a life-changing disruption. And the Greek word, the, the, the Greek word for virgin, it means a young woman of marriageable age, and it's emphasizing virginity. The only thing that they've done up until this point is they have agreed that they would be married. Joseph and Mary have basically met each other and said, hey, we're going to get married. Great. Greetings, right? Like, I mean, like, the same thing as, as, as Gabriel showing up. She's shocked. And so now Gabriel shows up and says, hey, uh, greetings, oh, favored one. Who talks like that, right? Who, who says that? Like, what, what Mary's going, what's going through Mary's mind is she's trying to figure out, like, what in my circumstances makes this favorable? I mean, I'm a, I'm a nobody at this point is what she's thinking. But the greeting actually means, it says, hey, you've, you've been favored with grace. Mary's not earning God's favor, but instead he's receiving, she's receiving God's predetermined blessing. The same's for us, right? We do nothing to earn God's favor, God's grace. He looks at us and he calls us loved. And the unexpectedness of God choosing one so unlikely and unimportant, it's just confounding and perplexing. And the announcement of her pregnancy was one of extreme disruption in her life. It confuses her faith. It challenges her intellect. It interrupts her life as a teenager growing up in this tightly knit Jewish community. She's got a lot to worry about. You can imagine what probably starts racing through her mind. What are, what are all my friends going to say? What's my family going to say? Like, I'm, I'm, like, I can't get married to Joseph now. He's going to kick me out. Oh, no, I just remembered. I'm going to die. Because the punishment for, at that time for being an adulterer was stoning. So great, I'm just going to be dragged out and I'm going I'm to be killed. What, like, what, what makes this favorable? What, like, what, what do you mean? Philip Yancey, he writes this in The Jesus I Never Knew if you've ever read this, a great devotional reading kind of sets you up for the Christmas season, telling, telling the story of what's kind of going on with Jesus, what's going on with Mary. He starts writing. He's like, you know, she's trying to protect her image at this point. That's all she's trying, maybe trying to do. And they're going, you really believe an angel came and told you that you're carrying God's son? You really believe all that. I mean, you think that's why she runs to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her, her relative. It's kind of this, this, maybe this older cousin, this older person who can provide wisdom for her, but it's the only place where she can find some sanctuary. Although Elizabeth at the time, right, she's dealing with a mute husband. May not be a bad thing for her. I don't know, all right, but wasn't there. 
But now she's, but now she, like, she's like, okay, well, now I've got this, my, my pregnant cousin here, but she is the first person to verbalize what John is doing in her uterus, where John is sitting there kicking, and he's going like, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus sitting right across from you. And so she verbalizes what John is doing back in her uterus, of just kicking and leaping with joy, like the Savior has come, and he's come today. And so it's with this entire, this entire backdrop of chaos and confusion and trauma and all the things that Mary's experiencing that Mary does this. She says, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do this. Because she believed what the angel told her, that nothing is impossible with God. Look at what she says in 138. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What, this, that's the most incredible response in all of, of Scripture. It might be the best definition of faith in the Bible. It's the desire for God's Word to become reality in all of our lives. We've all had our lives by some unexpected, uh, our, all, our lives been disrupted by some unexpected news, right? How do we respond? Because right, I believe many of us, we want to give that same response. All the time that we've spent in a, in a devotional, all the time that we've spent in church, all the time that we've spent maybe on a mission trip, that when God comes to us and says, hey, I'm going to take over your life, I want to do something special in your life, and you go, man, I just, I, come alive, I'm your servant. God, I'm here for you. So whatever you say, I'm in. That's the response I believe that each and every one of us want to make every single day. And so how do we respond to life-changing disruptions? How do we get to that point? We're going to unpack that a little bit more. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, the whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl and her prayers. So let's look at the Magnificat, this song, this hymn that Mary kind of sings in Luke 1, 46 through 56. Bridge has already read part of that for us. Great job, buddy. Let's read this again. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And it finishes and says that Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. The first thing we do, we do what Mary did. Mary, Mary, Mary rejoiced. She rejoiced. Like the, the Magnificat belongs in this genre of, of thanksgiving of an individual in, in need. The thanksgiving praises God for gracious deliverance. Notice, God is the subject of every verb except in verses 47 and 48. 
It's a humble contemplation of the mercies of God. Mary has this mood of joy. You can't read this and be sad. There's no, there's no way to do, to do that. You're going to read this and you're going to be filled with the joy of the Lord. And so she's glorifying God amid everything swirling around her. She doesn't turn inward. She doesn't turn salty, if I can use that term, right? Her words acknowledge his goodness and bring attention to him. God owes her nothing. She owes God everything. And all the things that come from him are acts of grace. This is an act of grace in her life. God Almighty, God Almighty has done great things on her behalf. And so all she's doing is she is taking a magnifying glass and she is making God bigger and bigger and bigger. Generations will see, see her and call her blessed. Generations will also see this, this magnificent God. This isn't about her. She's just trying to make God look big. And she feels the greatness and holiness and mercy of God within her own life. That's why she can rejoice in the Lord, her Savior, while she's experiencing all this turmoil. Uh, I, I'm a runner. At least I like to think myself as a runner. That does not mean that I need you to go be a runner too, okay? Running is not for everybody, I will tell you that. Find your thing, do it, okay? But part of what I like to do is study like runners and how to run Nerdy, we all got our thing, okay? My wife's like, you're watching people run. Like, why are you watching this on TV? I'm like, I'm sorry. This is just what I'm doing, right? But if you're familiar with the runner, there's a guy named Elliot Kipchoge. He is from, uh, he's from Kenya. He is, a, he is a marathoner from Kenya. Fastest guy in the world in his sport. He's not like Usain Bolt, right? You're just, you're kind of economical when you're, when you're long distance running. But he holds the record... Uh, for, for the world's fastest marathon. He broke his own record this year. He was also part of this documentary with, with, uh, with National Geographic, Breaking Two, where they're trying to break the two-hour barrier in a marathon. They did this back in 2017. He didn't do it. He, he ended up doing it in 2019. The guy's phenomenal. But what he's also known for is smiling while he's running. And then immediately everyone goes, you're insane. You're an insane person who's running, right? And it doesn't mean, look, it doesn't mean that he's actually enjoying what's happening in that moment. He's not just grinning because he's like, yeah, this is, this is great. I feel great. What he's doing is he's telling his body something different. Even while he's trying to press on and he feels this pain. Listen to what he says. He says, when you smile and you're happy... You can trigger the mind to not feel your legs. Mary's not triggering her mind or her body, right? But instead, she's believing what Gabriel has told her, for, for nothing is impossible with God. Yancey again says this. He says, often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. And in, in, in that matter-of-fact response, Mary embraced both Think about how we often respond to the challenges or disruptions in our lives. Because you might be thinking like I was, where it's like, nothing like what Mary said. I mean, there's days I can't handle the light at Coit and Arapahoe by my house. Okay, yeah, I guess we're doing four, four cars at a time today. That's just great. That's fantastic. Thank you. Ah, man, I do not want to deal with this person today. How many times you have open space on your calendar 
man, I'm going to get a lot done. This is going to be great. Hey, do you have like five minutes? What about the deeper challenges you face? What about when you lose a loved one? Unexpectedly. See, we can rejoice because the Lord regards our loneliness. He sees us amid our challenges and disruptions, and he's with us. And so how do we do that? We do it through thanksgiving. Again, this is, this is a song of thanksgiving of someone who's in need. And so my, my guess is that you're, you're in here today and you're like, yeah, I've got a need. I need met right now. I'd love that. I'd love for God to meet my need right where I'm at. Instead of, instead of just turning inward, you can humbly turn outward. You can praise him. And all you're doing is reminding yourself and you're just telling God about how great he is. And so what I like to do, I, I think culture does a really good job. I know there's, there's some spirituality to this too, but like culture gives us a whole week of Thanksgiving. Like they give us, the, like they just gift you this. Like, right? So what, what a better way to be reminded to turn to God and just say, God, thanks. Thank you for what you've done. I, so what I do is I spend the whole week writing down each day something I'm thankful for or lots of things I'm grateful for. And it's just me. I'm just trying to verbalize that. I try to do, I try to do it a couple, a, a couple times during the year, so I'm not just doing it at Thanksgiving, right? Maybe it makes me look a little more spiritual. I don't know. But it's just a way for me to be reminded where I can look back on the whole the past year and I can go, God, like you've been faithful all the way through up to this point, and you're gonna be you're gonna continue to be faithful. You can do the same thing. All God wants you to do in these moments is to feel the greatness and the holiness and mercy of God, just like Mary. When we can relax and be happy in the mercy of God, that's what magnifies God most. And so we rejoice. We rejoice. What we can also do is we can also remember. We remember. Mary remembers the promise. This is, this is I think, what was the most incredible thing about studying this passage this week is that Mary has this, this foundational understanding of all of the Old Testament prophecies. I mean, she, she's, she's listening to Gabriel. Think about this. She's listening to Gabriel and she starts piecing all of these things together where she starts piecing the story together going like, okay, I'm starting to understand this, which is still kind of hard and still freaking me out a little bit. But she has a knowledge of the redemptive history and the promise of the Messiah to come. She's a teenager. Again, she's 14, 15 year, years old, but her mind is saturated with God's word. In this small town, right, where the, everything kind of comes together with, with family, the, the, your religion, right, her parents, her grandparents are going to play an integral part in instilling faith into this young person. That's still true today. Like Mary, and Mary's not just drawing on like the stories of God or she's trying to remember all the Old Testament stories, but she's remembering the character of God. She's remembering his faithfulness. She's remembering his care. She's seeing his love. She's seeing all the, all the great things about God in this moment. And she's going like, I get it. 
Mary sees that God's about to change the course of human history and the most important three decades are about to begin. She's internalized the gospel for herself. It's not the fact that the Savior was just to be born. It's the fact that the Savior was to be born for her. And so now she's hearing that promise. And now she's carrying that promise. And if you continue to read and you go into Luke 2, she is holding and she is rocking that promise. Again, we can't ignore the importance of, of Mary's foundational, uh, foundational faith. Look, if you're in middle school, you're in high school, kids, let me, let me just talk to you for just for a second, okay? But it is possible for you to be saturated by God's word. Even in the midst of all the distractions, Gen Z is known as this distracted generation. But let me just kind of come out of that for a second and just go, hey, that's kind of all of us. We're all distracted. But it's possible for each and every one of us to be saturated by God's word, but especially our young people. It could be the disruption that you're experiencing is just God's, God's trying to get a hold of you because he wants to spend some time with you. He wants to be present in your life. And it's like this alert or this alarm system that's going off in your head going like, hey, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of you. Hey, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up. And because God wants and so, so desperately desires a relationship with each and every one of us in here. And so we've got to draw on the promises of God in scripture, but even in our own lives. And so parents, this is a reminder to you too. So let me, let me encourage you and challenge you that you are the primary, primary spiritual influencer in the life of your kid. And so the church's job, what we want to do is we want to come around you and we want to partner with you. We want to equip you. We want to help you to instill faith in the life of your kid so that it lasts a lifetime. We want to see each and every one of our families saturated in God's word. It's because it's not about just taking what you, what you know about some stories, like those are really good, but it's about taking what you believe and passing that on to the next generation. You can step in, you can serve, you can step in, you can lead, you can step in and make disciples. We want to do that. But let me tell you something. This is because this is for everybody. Th don't miss this. We have to internalize the gospel for ourselves first. It starts with us. Like what makes God so great? It's not, it's not just his, his humility, but it's the fact that he's approachable. It's, it's what makes the knowledge of God attainable. It's not, again, it's not like Mary just kind of magically knows the story or like Gabriel set up and was like, okay, hey, before uh, I deliver this message, I need to give you about mm, 2,000 years of history, maybe longer, how much time you have. She knows all this. She already knows. She knows scripture and it's now come alive in her own life. And so what we do is we remember the promise. We, we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We must see the need for a, for a savior in our own lives. We've got to believe the gospel every single day. When we wake up, we go, I'm in need of the gospel today because I'm a sinner. And God meets us right where we are and says, I love you. 
and I have died for you. Like this, this story, this is full of hope for you and me. Because this baby is going to become a person and that person is fit to die in our place. Again, Mary's not blessed because she has some sort of skill. As Elizabeth proclaims, listen to what Elizabeth proclaims. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's her belief. And so we, we, we do this every year. So this is my, my challenge to you again. I mean, it's going to be on repeat probably until uh, from now until forever, okay? But we provide the Advent guide. And we don't just print these because we think they look pretty, okay? I want to be, be, be clear, okay? Although they look very nice. Very proud of our comps team, all right? But we print these because these are a re, this is a resource for you. And all we want you to do is just spend time daily in God's word. Because we believe the power of the gospel. And we believe it's, it's, it's here to change lives and it's here to change your life. And so we have this resource available for you. And so let it, if you've not been reading scripture, that's okay. That's, that's the beauty of God's grace. All he wants you to do is just spend some time hearing from him. And let it be a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. That's why we lit this candle today, that we have hope in the midst of our challenging circumstances. And God is coming to disrupt your life. So we remember the promise that he did and does what he says he's going to do. We rejoice, we remember, and lastly, we replace. We replace. There's really one thing that's got to be re- replaced, and you'll see it in this, in this passage, but it's, it's our pride. We, re- we replace our pride. Look what Mary says in, in 51 through 53. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Pride competes with God. All pride does, it just refuses to acknowledge God's sovereignty. I mean, it, it's existed since the beginning. This is what, this is what was going on with, with, uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden right? They believed the lie that they could become their own God and that they did not need God. No, you can become your own God. You can be in control. So this is, this is not a hymn of the proud. It's a hymn of the powerless. One of unexpected grace. Mary sees herself as insignificant. And that doesn't matter. God's like, I don't, that, that's, not why, that's not why I'm here. See, in most religions, a meeting with God requires the low to ascend to high, right? Sinners have to become saints by their own efforts. Listen to what James Edwards says. He says, he says, the Magnificat reverses all protocol and expectations. God who is high becomes low. He sees a human need and initiates a revolution that reorders reality. The transcendent God intercedes on behalf of a lowly young woman and calls her blessed. God advocates the small, the the needy, the insignificant. God, my savior in verse 47 shows that she has a need for the gospel in her own life. She was a sinner like other people. And all pride does is just gets in the way and causes us to forget God. It ignores the need for him in our life. It's a result of, of brokenness. 
It makes us just play tug of war with, with God. We're both trying to occupy this, the same space because we want, we want to be in control. David Rhodes says, pride is the dandelion of the soul. It's a weed. Its root goes deep. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. So what do we replace our pride with? We replace it with two things. One is we replace pride with humility. Again, we've got to wake up. We've got to declare our need for him each day. That's the first step. Pride tricks us into thinking that we can just do everything alone. This is a personal decision. You're trusting that someone other than you can save you. God, my savior, becomes your declaration. It's not just Mary's. It's yours. His mercy is certain for those who fear him. That's the promise to you. You'll find refuge in him. And I, I get it because you might be living your life right now and you're going like, everything's kind of good. Like, I, I don't see the need to have someone else come in and, and help me with my decision making. Like, I'm, I'm making money. Like, I'm, I'm living my life. And like, there's really no problems right now. What happens when it all starts to crumble? What happens when, when everything else around you starts to kind of just fall apart? Where, where do you turn at that point? Do you see yourself in need? You have to replace your pride with humility because it could be that pride's just getting in the way of just saying like, no, you don't, you're, you're, you're good. And what you can do is you, you just ask for help. And sometimes that means you're just turning to somebody that you trust and you're saying, hey, I need, I need help. I need, I need help with this situation. I need help discerning, is this maybe, is this God trying to disrupt my life right now? Is this God trying to just like wake me up? You can turn to someone you trust and you can help. We've got, here, we've got people here who'd love, to, uh, who'd love to talk to you about that as well but you have to ask for help. The second thing is you have to replace pride with his power. God does not turn away from want and oppression, but toward both in compassion and rescuing intervention. Here's the deal. The same power, right, that was, that was present in the Old Testament that we see in stories like when God parts the Red Sea is now present in the life of a real body. Mary is a real person. Yes, she, I mean, people have worshiped her, all that, great, fine. She's a real person. And can I say it? She didn't stay a virgin. That same power that resides in her is now present in the life of the believer. And all he's doing, he is bringing you into his story. The same power that's, that's present in her, let me say it again, is resi it resides in those who believe the gospel. We have access to the same power to do God's work in our community and, the and in the world. We can proclaim Jesus to our friends. We can proclaim Jesus to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and then we can go do his work by his power in our community and in our city and throughout the entire world. Because that's, that's, that's how we're going to accomplish his mission. It's not our own mission. It's his. 
And he is bringing us along and saying, I'm, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. When we draw on the power of the almighty God, we acknowledge our need for him. And he faithfully works in us to accomplish his will. So replace your pride with his power. That's when we can answer. That's when we can say, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. That's how you respond to life changing, changing disruptions. You rejoice when you face that disruption. You remember the promise that God is going to redeem his people. And you replace your pride. See, this, this baby, Jesus, grew up to live a perfect life. He grew up to die on the cross and be raised again. God wants to disrupt your life. I mean, you think about it. Go read the rest of the New Testament. Go read the rest of Jesus' life. His whole life was full of disruption. He came to disrupt the political power. He came to disrupt the religious leaders. And God is seeking to break through that pride today, like he did with Mary. God's just inviting you to be a part of his story. And that's the disruption that we all need. So my final question is this. Are you going to allow God to disrupt your life today? Are you going to allow God to disrupt your life and be a part of his story? Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we praise you. I think that's the only thing we know how to do maybe right now is hopefully that's how we respond is just to go, hey, God, you're in control. We honor you as king and we, we want to acknowledge you with our lives. God, you don't seek to disrupt our plans or our life because you're an evil God. You're a good God and you're including us into your story. You're including us into the work that you're doing in and throughout the world and you want us to desperately be a part of it. Because you're approachable, because you're kind, because you're humble, you want to include us. And so, God, I pray for those that are, that are in this room that maybe are, are just trying to discern maybe what maybe you're doing in their own life. God, I pray that you, you give them clarity right now. I pray for those that may be going, I, 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 okay, I've, I've been living my, my life on my own, apart from you. God, will they surrender to you? Will you work in their life so that they have a relationship with you? God, you're such a good, you're such a good God, and we want to magnify you with everything we do. So help us to do that as we live out our lives. Help us to do that now as we sing to proclaim the living hope that we have in you. In your name we pray.
just very quickly. Um, thanks for being here today. Thanks for just, this feels weird, all the bands staring at me. Um, <laughs> step over here maybe, but thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, if you want to talk about what it means to have your life disrupted, maybe by God, uh, we're, we're available after the service. We'd love to, uh, to talk to you uh, about that, what that looks like, how to, follow, how to follow Jesus, and then live a life as a disciple. Uh, that's what we're here for. If you want to talk about baptism, what, what, a, what, a, what does baptism mean? Uh, we're happy to, to do that as well. So thanks for being here. Um, we, uh, we loved you, church family. Thanks for just bearing with us today and just trying something, trying something new. We hope you have a merry Christmas as we begin Advent and a great rest of the day. Thanks. <laughs> 